What's up, guys? Before we get going today, remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? They are the world's best handicapping site. Skybox Sports Picks is the creator of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that's been refined and tested through years of experience. These guys are legit. March Madness is here. You've got one more weekend of significant basketball left. You might as well go test out their March Madness package. You can do that. You can do one day, all day picks for 10 bucks. I would recommend buying a season pass. They've got all kinds of NASCAR packages. They're crushing it on NASCAR right now, if that's your type of thing. If you're more into March Madness, you can go buy full seasons. You can go buy the March Madness package. At very least, you should try the one-day package. What in the world do you have to lose? These guys are hitting 61% on max plays, 57% on the year for college hoops picks. Over-unders have been crushing it. They will lead you to profit during this final weekend of March Madness. You guys should check them out, Skybox Sports Picks. Dot com. Use the promo code Rippy and you'll get 20% off any purchase. Please go use these guys. They're legit. They're my friends. I know I would not steer you the wrong way. Please go use them. Skybox Sports Picks. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. You know exactly where LB's is if you've been listening to this podcast. We've got specials going on. We might have a new special in Thursday's newsletter. Greg might keep it the same. Guy's a wild card. Never know what he's going to do. But check them out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. We've been running the one pound of spicy ribeye sausage for free if you just subscribe to the newsletter. Again, might have something later this week. Might keep it the same. You never know with Greg, but go check him out. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger, the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Let's go. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up? Happy Thursday. I am Brian Scott Rippey. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rebel Rights Podcast. We have a special Thursday edition of the podcast. This uh, decision, obviously, if you've read the newsletter, was driven by Ole Miss starts a baseball series, as you're listening to this, tonight against Alabama, a fairly important one. As uh, I mean, you could say every week in the Southeastern Conference is important and it not really be a cliche. So I've got Colin Brister, as always, on the other end of the line. Our normal Mailbag Friday podcast. I guess it's going to be delayed. It wouldn't make any sense for us to record again on Friday, but uh, maybe a mailback Sunday. Thoughts? There we go. Yeah. Um, so we, we, we do this podcast on Thursday, and I'm going to just go ahead and tell you they're not playing tonight, um, being Thursday night. They, they, they're not playing tonight. They're, they're going to play a doubleheader on Friday. The uh, weather in awful, is awful in Mississippi. I'm out of school. Like, it's it's going to be very bad, and it's going to travel into Alabama. So, just expect for expect, expect two games on Friday night. That's interesting because that would really just throw a wrench in this podcast schedule. I actually think where I am, and we're recording this on a Wednesday evening, uh, that's actually coming through where I am tonight, which is kind of okay. been a weird theme since I've lived out here. Like, when we like the snow deal, we got it slightly before right. Mississippi, and then it kept coming over. I guess it makes sense, but just the consistency of it has been kind of odd. Apparently, it's supposed to get bad here tonight and be beautiful through the weekend. So, you're saying their chances of playing tomorrow are not great? Uh, their chances are none as of right now. Um, so, yeah, uh, I mean, like, I, like the whole state of – the whole northern part of Mississippi is out of school tomorrow preparing for extremely bad weather. Also, off topic real quick, it is kind of nice now, like, you know, with COVID, we have, you know, virtual school or whatever. Uh, so now anytime the weather's going to get bad, it's just like at-home learning day, virtual school day. So they don't even have to worry about it anymore because the day counts because so, you can teach the children online. 
Yeah, I feel like that, that it's going to be one of the negative side effects from the kids' <laughs> perspective for this whole yeah. thing. Because I remember like a couple of days when I was in middle school and in high school, like getting out because of tornadoes. It was mostly whenever it iced or snowed or whatever. And now they're just, you know, whatever you think of the virtual learning and how it's gone for a day, they are obviously more well prepared to do it than they've ever been in any school district ever. So uh, I guess gone are the school snow days. Like how is, I, I guess that's all going to become virtual um, learning days. I'll tell you how we did it. We did, uh, we put stuff online during the snow week for Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, but our, our superintendent was is super cool and just said, look, it's like, we're not robbing kids of snow days. Like, it, you know, at some point, they're teenage kids. Let them have a freaking snow day. It'll be okay. Um, but, yeah, those are, in some districts, probably going to go by the wayside. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, yeah, it's going to depend on whether you're, like you mentioned, superintendent, I guess if it's a private school headmaster, principal, whatever, is, is a Grinch or not, if he, if he wants the day off <laughs> from school. But I haven't thought about it from that perspective. It's like these weather days, I guess, aren't the same. Be that as no. it may, whether Ole Miss actually plays on Thursday or not, uh, this was kind of the plan for the podcast, so we'll get into a lot of baseball. We're going to talk some spring football today, too, because spring football is fun again. And uh, <laughs> not to put you on blast or put you on the spot, but it was funny. I was writing a couple notes, I guess, for Tuesday's newsletter, and I was going through some storylines for the spring, and I just remember how bad I used to dread it. And one time when we had first started the Rebel Report podcast, it was after a big baseball weekend. And I was yeah. like, I think we were like about to come on and record. And I was like, and I guess we'll talk some spring football. And you were basically like, well, I mean, you can. Like, I'm not going to be able to talk spring football. And while I'm not a huge spring football guy in general, it is very funny now, like, how, just how big of a drag it was under Matt Luke. And now oh. it's kind of like, oh, they're back in spring. Like, you know, even if you're not the biggest football guy, you know, you monitor it from afar. It's exciting again. Like, I can guarantee you if the restrictions aren't there, which obviously Mississippi Open, the Grove Bowl will be more crowded than it was in 2018. I will bet my life on that. Oh, my God. I went in 19, Luke's last year. It, it was just like, oh, my God. And Rich Rodriguez had Matt Crowell out there running quarterback sweep. It was a sight to behold. Um, I should have known that day that this is not going to go well. But, yeah, spring football, look, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you. I'm not some, you know, spring football guru. But, yeah, I'm going to keep up with it. And, you know, and like we talked about, you know, and we'll get into this after we talk about baseball. Big deal for Matt Crow, second year in the system, and he hasn't done that since probably his sophomore year of high school. So uh, second year in the system is going to be big for him. It is going to be big for him. It's going to be huge. And it's the first time he's really, had, like you mentioned, had any really continuity in his, like, adult uh, football life, I guess, would be the way to put it. And we'll get to that yeah. in a second. We'll get to baseball first. But, yeah, it is interesting again. It's amazing when there's excitement around the program. You know, I've always found it odd, like, when these schools put 75,000 people, like Nebraska, when you're not even good, put it in for a spring game. I'm like, do you people not have anything better to do? I guess the baseball <laughs> factor uh, plays a little bit of a uh, plays a little bit of a role in it as well. But, like, I, you know, you mentioned the 19 one. Honestly, I, I don't care to try to remember how many spring games Matt Luke had, but it was the one before that. I guess it would have been 18 because I think this was the summer I ended up going to Ohio. The 18 one, I'm not going to argue whether it was better or worse because I don't remember. I can promise you it wasn't much better. It was depressing how <laughs> few people were in there. It was like a gray day. I think there was – I think you could probably count on two and a half hands, maybe the people on each side of the stadium. 
I'm serious. Yeah, not great. Not great. Yeah, that's when people were pissed off they hired Luke, and then 19 was the year that Luke went 5-7 and seven with uh, A.J. Brown and uh, D.K. Metcalf and Dawson Knox and Van Jefferson and Jordan Thomas and Greg Little. He, that he did. That's a, that is a undisputable fact. <laughs> he, he did. And, and to be completely fair, uh, Phil Longo also went 5-7 and seven with that because did you notice that all of those guys did play on the same side of the football. He did, but Phil and I've said this to some Ole Miss fans, and not a lot of people agree with me. Phil Longo's calling pretty good offense up there at North Carolina. I just, I just wonder if somebody may have had their hands all in offense. Oh, I think that's almost undisputable at this point. I, 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 I don't, you know, and I didn't necessarily buy that at first when the rumblings came out. You're naturally kind of skeptical as a reporter, particularly kind of depending on who it comes from. But uh, I, I don't think that's disputable at this point, and really. Like with the whole Matt Luke, particularly when he went with the whole Rich Rodriguez, Mac, Mike McIntyre, do your thing on the offensive side, do your thing on the defensive side. Now, I think it helped that Rich Rodriguez kind of more aligned with what Matt Luke wanted the sure. football team to be. But I, I don't think it's disputable at this point. I, yeah. I, I, I don't think we necessarily owe Phil Longo an apology, but I, I don't think he was 100% his offense. Oh, there, there's a reason that – and look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think Phil Longo is a great football coach. There is a reason that a lot of people – I mean, he's got a job at a power five school, and a lot of people think he's a really good football coach. I mean, yeah, you know, he, they, he's regarded as one of the top, you know, up-and-coming offensive coordinators in football. And, you know, that's by a lot of smart people. Now, look, did he have his flaws in Oxford? Absolutely. Freaking lootly. Um, but he was also never hired in Oxford to call plays for a long or an extended period of time. And then he's thrown into this deal where, yeah, he's got to call plays for an extended period of time. And he has really no, you know, he doesn't have a guy that's called plays successfully on the staff like Freeze would have been able to help him do at least. And it was just a bad situation all the way around there for that guy. But if you want to get real, he was not hired to come to Oxford in general to, to be successful. Yeah, he was hired to fail, so Freeze could look like a god. Pretty much looked like the smartest guy in the room. I mean, that's, I mean, that, that's really what that was and that hire was, and I did not anticipate going down the Phil Longo rabbit hole today. <laughs> the hell with it. We're, we're here. So. But, yeah, I mean, that was really what that hiring was all about. But, anyway, let's, uh, let's turn our attention to baseball first. We'll sure. get back to some football in a little bit. Ole Miss goes to Alabama this weekend for a weekend series. Uh, Alabama, you know, it feels like for about a half decade now. I say half decade. It's probably been three years ever since they got rid of that one guy that was such a disaster. What was his name? He was two coaches ago, I think, at this point. No, no, you're thinking of Auburn. Uh, Gaspard was there for seven or eight years, and he went to Super Regionals and Regionals and kind of fell off at the end. No, no, who was the guy that they had? To, I think it was – Oh, you're right. They did. They had Greg Goff for a yeah, year. You're that's right. exactly who I was thinking of. He was – Yeah, Greg Goff. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of. He he was not good, and I think not only was he not good, I think his players hated him too, which that's a tough combo. So so you're supposed to do the deal where you pull him in, and you know like when you after your first year and you say, hey, look, you're not really gonna play here. Um, you know, why don't we check out your options, and then you help the kid get somewhere else. Like, you know, Ole Miss does that, Mississippi State does that, but what they do is they help the kid get somewhere else. Uh, no, Greg Goff just told all of his kids after his first year, he's like, hey, we're cutting all of you, figure it out. So uh, they fired him. <laughs> not, not endearing himself to the program, I would say. No, like, you don't go screw 35 kids over and be like, hey, uh, I don't know where you're going, but I hope it works. 
<laughs> you know, and then commit NCAA violations at the same time. Very true. So yeah, and he had uh, he had had NCAA troubles at his previous stop. He I'm did. Thinking uh, some school in Louisiana, right? Uh, he was at La Tech. I, I didn't. I don't know if he had NCAA troubles there. I'm sure he did. And then he had them at some Big South conference team, like Winthrop or something. That's probably what I was thinking of. Or Campbell. He was at Campbell. Yeah. Campbell. The Campbell Camels. Who've had a. That's a, right. Gotten a lot better since he left. By the way, the Campbell Camels <laughs> made an uh, made an appearance in a regional not too long ago. Nah, how about that? Um, so, and I think that Campbell Campbell's actually uh, beat a one seed somewhere in the Carolina regionals, one of the two. And uh, I think that was the last time we had postseason baseball. I'm going to shut up about the Campbell Campbells now, but uh, I don't know why I just remembered that. <laughs> anyway, Alabama 15 and six on the year, one and two in the SEC. They dropped two and three at uh, Arkansas last weekend. Uh, kind of an odd series. They beat the living shit out of them on they Friday night. They outscored Arkansas last weekend and dropped two. That's hard to do. They did. They, they scored. But it is easier to do when you score 16 runs in one game and two runs over the next 18 innings. They won 16-1, to one, lost 9-1, to one, and lost a tough game 3-1 to one on Sunday. I think this team is a fairly competitive team from a pitching standpoint and the rest of it yeah. is kind of eh. Yeah, that, that's completely fair, especially prelip. Look, uh, they've got a kid that I think is going to go 1-1 next year, uh, but he's not pitching right now. Nobody knows why. He says he's got a medical condition. He's been out. Uh, this will be the fifth start in a row that he misses, I believe. Um, and he will not pitch this weekend against Ole Miss. They have three guys that are pretty good. Uh, Dylan Smith had a tough outing against Arkansas. But I think they have three starters that are pretty good. They can't hit. They, they absolutely cannot hit. So Ole Miss needs to go pitch it well, and they will come out of the series fine. They have three holes in their lineup. And what I mean by holes is uh, seven, eight, nine does not scare you one bit. So you think about this from a math perspective. If seven, eight, nine doesn't scare you and they're going to play those kids, well, now they have six, uh, six at-bats where they can kind of score. So, you know, I, this team cannot hit, man. Um, I know, you know, some of their numbers are okay. But when you go to Arkansas last weekend and you hit 217 after scoring 16 on Friday night, like that tells me all I need to know, especially when your uh, OBP is 304 and your slug percentage is like 450. That means you're just trying – you strike out 24% of your time. And I, I was looking at their analytics sheet today with that. Uh, they just try to hit home runs because they're not good enough to string hits together. So, yeah, th th this team is uh, very not good offensively. Yeah, and the kid you were talking about, his name is Connor Prelip. Or Prelip? I don't know how you pronounce Prelip. it. Yeah, Prelip. What is uh, – what is his deal? I don't uh, – no I, I was trying to figure that out earlier this week. And, like, I know Alabama doesn't get a ton of media coverage, but it, 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 to your point, I, it's weird. I asked a uh, SEC assistant coach what, what the deal was. And, and like, it's, it's so tight-lipped. Like, they're telling nobody. Like, scouts don't know. Nobody knows. He just has a medical condition, and he is out this week against Ole Miss. When, do you know the last time he's pitched? I should have looked that he up. He pitched opening day. Interesting. So that sounds like I don't know. That's a weird deal. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, like you can't even guesstimate that. Right. And he goes five innings, uh, six, eight strikeouts against McNeese in a shutout, and uh, to like you said, hasn't pitched since. Bizarre thing. Good news for Ole Miss. I feel Absolutely. like that's been the case for a lot of these Alabama teams, at least from the time that I've covered Ole Miss baseball, which I guess is about five, six years at this point. They always had a couple kids, particularly a kid on Friday or Saturday. It was like, okay, this kid matches up pretty well, but they just could not hit. And I wonder if that's indicative – not indicative. I wonder if that's telling of just how hard it is to build a winner in the SEC to where it's, it seems to be harder to recruit kids that can consistently hit than it is that can pitch. 
Because, yes, yeah. the pitching is absolutely top tier in this conference, but I feel like there's enough out there to where you can survive. It's just having enough consistent hitters is it seems tougher to do in this league. Yeah, I've never really thought about that, but you're right. I mean, it, they're, they're hardly ever – and you're right about this. I hadn't thought about that. There hardly ever is a team that's just abysmal on the mound in the SEC. There, there really is. Um, there are some teams that are abysmal at the plate. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that. I mean, there's – you only got to – you only start one pitcher and you start, you know, nine hitters. So, uh, numbers say that the odds you can find pretty good pitching staff are pretty good. Um, but, yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good point. I never thought about it, especially at a place like Alabama that, you know, doesn't invest a whole lot in baseball and then obviously has the same scholarship disadvantage that Ole Miss has. So, yeah, that's a tough deal. Yeah, Tennessee was like that before they got it back going. They still again. can't hit. Yeah, exactly. They, they always pitched it fine. And so that's that kind of, I guess, transitioning to it, Ole Miss side. That's uh, that's kind of what you're going to get, like, from this Alabama team. It's a very typical Alabama team. They're a little bit stronger, I would say, from an overall talent perspective sure. than, you know, maybe circa 2015 Alabama or Greg, whatever that guy said. What's his – who was Greg, Greg Goff? Goff. <laughs> the, the Pete Greg Goff era, if you want to call it that. Um, but anyway, so – but, like, I was, I was just going back through it, and, man, Gene Wood has been in college baseball a long time. Alabama's 2015 roster. They had the Dylan Duarte kid uh, who yeah. was okay. You know, they've had, they've had guys in between, I guess, is my point. No one is going to remember who Dylan Duarte is, but you kind of get my point. Oh, man. Um, they had a kid, and, God, I wish I remember his name. He threw against Ole Miss in 2018. Yes. Very they good just as well. shut them down. And you got to remember, that 2018 offense is, was a freak show. And just he, he's senior. It was his senior day in uh, Tuscaloosa that night. My man just throws a complete game shutout because sure. Yeah, he was uh he was absolutely unbelievable. I believe that was Jake Walters, if I'm not. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it, it, that's he was he, all they had. I just pulled up his bio, and that leads it. It says masterful in his final start as a member of the Crimson Tide against Ole Miss. Complete game shutout against the nation's fourth-ranked team. So, congrats to the Ole Miss offense. That season was not a complete waste. You made some SIDs life. <laughs> that's, that's the night that uh, – the and what was happening was Ole Miss could have won the West that night, if I'm not mistaken, or, or tied for the West that night. And uh, – <laughs> They got beat four and nothing, but it was one to nothing in the eighth. And Thomas Dillard hits the ball that just it would have gone six hundred feet, but the wind is just howling in from right. I was there that night. Ball is just howling in from right in Tuscaloosa, and it just knocks it down. And old buddy catches it with his back on the water. You're like, all right, it's not our night. It is what it is. Yeah, <laughs> that would uh, that was an interesting, interesting final couple of weeks of that season, but I. Uh, but and that was no fluke either. That Walters kid had been good for quite a yeah. while. Now not that good, but he was good. But you know, kind of transitioning it into Ole Miss, we talked about how 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 sweeps are so vital in this league and like breaking news. Sweeping is huge in the uber competitive SEC West. I know I'm not breaking any news there, but I thought you framed it really nicely on this on the Monday show. When we were talking about it. Is you know Alabama's going to be a bottom feeder in the SEC West, but they're a competitive yes. baseball team, and you know, you don't expect to go over there and sweep. Would it be nice? Sure. But if you get out of there two or three, you feel pretty good. And because of what Ole Miss did last weekend, as you pointed out on Monday, you go get two or three now and you leave that going to Florida or Florida comes to Oxford, goes to Florida? No, no, they go to Gainesville next That's what week. I thought, at five and one. Yes. Which is huge because at the same yeah. time, 
you could have dropped a game last week against Auburn and still felt pretty good about the weekend. And then you go two at three or three at two, like four and three, I mean, four and two and three and three just doesn't sound a whole lot better to where I'm not going to say worst case for Ole Miss, but they got a, they, they've got a decent shot at coming out of this five and one at worst. Yeah, I mean, if I'm Ole Miss, the way I look at this is I've got two road trips to Alabama, and I know Mike doesn't approach it like this. He wants to go 6-0. But, you know, me as a fan, I, 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 they, go, they go, to, go to Alabama this week. They go to Florida next week. Just win one of those series. Come back 3-3. Three and three. And you come back 6-3 and three and Arkansas rolls into town, you're in really good shape. You should win your home series against Arkansas. I'll just be honest. Then you're 8-4 and four and, you know, you go play Mississippi State, and you don't really beat Mississippi State, so you're probably nine and six. So you offer me nine and six after fifteen uh, with A and M, South Carolina, um, you know, still on the schedule, and Georgia still on the schedule. Yeah, you 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 take that all day long, and LSU, who I don't think is very good. The only the you know almost the schedule is front loaded because you have Vanderbilt in the back end, but you have LSU, A and M, who I don't think are very good West teams, and South Carolina and Georgia, who I know aren't good East teams. Um, you got a real chance to make some noise in the back end of that schedule if you can get out of this thing nine and six. Agree, which is weird to say about Alabama and A&M, but I think it's absolutely the case. I, You know, they were kind of lucky to get a game against State last weekend. That's in Alex Box. LSU, I think you would have – We, I think we talked about this, but I think you would have seen that – like. Maneri may have gotten a little bit lucky that that whole twenty not lucky that twenty twenty season was canceled. But right, I think you would have seen a, whole, a kind of a kind of a little bit of a, a slip in LSU last year as well, and I think you would have in this year. You would have, and I mean, it's not getting much better there. So uh, they got some issues. They're not very good. They can't really hit. And look, they got a top five pick on the mound, but you know, and 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 let Labas and uh, Marceau are really good, but they're not good in the pen. They can't really hit. I don't think that, like, everybody does the thing with LSU. It's like, ah, oh, they'll figure it out in May. I don't think this LSU team's figuring it out in May. I, don't, I just don't think they're very good. I uh, I agree. Uh, but if they halfway figure it out, they will certainly get favorable seating treatment. But that is neither <laughs> here nor there. You mentioned uh, a lack of ability to hit the ball. That has not been Ole Miss's problem for most of the year outside of maybe a weekend or two. And yeah. on Wednesday night, it wasn't a huge problem as well. Uh, Ole Miss played – that was a terrible radio-type tease. I just tried to uh, smooth transition there, and it just didn't happen. Ole Miss hit three home runs on uh, Tuesday night is what I was trying to sure. say. And 5-2 to two win over UCA. Tim Elko goes long. Jacob Gonzalez goes long. Hayden Dunhurst goes long. Tim Elko, eight home runs, second in the SEC. That'll, uh, that'll haunt. And considering the way he started, that's probably even a little more impressive than it kind of looks on the surface. Bust. He's a bust. I, I remember being told that. He was a bust. If Chase uh, Coppola didn't exist, do you think the whole uh, the like the Elko narrative would change at all? I know that sounds uh, ludicrous, but a big bat that you kept hearing about for quite a while, and with uh, you know with with Cockrell, it was just he hit straight ball far, just <laughs> not curveball. I just wonder, you know, back to back coming off that, I, I just yeah, wonder if that played any part. My my thing with Elko was like. Cockrell came out of Hines, so he doesn't go D1 out of high school. Elko goes D1 out of high school and is rated like a top 50 player in the country. It turns down – I'm pretty sure he turns down a decent amount of change to come to Ole Miss. And it's just like, you know, the guy that played in front of him was really good. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, I think that's completely valid that you see the Cockrell decline. But, yeah, man, like, I, I think, too, and, and we won't spend a ton of time on this, I think two people are really impatient with baseball players because – 
you see guys starting all over the place as freshmen that if someone's not playing well by their freshman or sophomore year that, like, they're not good. It's like that's not always how it works. It, it does take some guys some time. I mean, the guy that's going to take the ball for Ole Miss in the first game this series, he was not very good his first year on campus, and now he's one of the best pitchers, if not the best pitcher in the country. I mean, he was borderline – it was borderline very bad in a few starts in his freshman year. It was yes. just on a fastball and nothing else. And, you know, you mentioned that and people being impatient. If there was any – Indica- if Ole Miss fans should be before every baseball season should maybe be required to watch a a low lights reel of the 2017 team where Kessinger and all those freshmen just had to play. <laughs> all those kids' numbers were terrible that year. I mean, it was, it was a brutal struggle, and they were just an entirely different. They were different players in a different team a year later. It just kind of happens that way, unless you're yeah, a really I mean, elite talent or just kind of. I say elite talent. It just kind of clicks for some guys, but I would say that's not the majority. No, like. And people are going to do this crap with, with Kemp Alderman, who's not going to play a series redshirt. Kemp Alderman's going to be just fine. Um, he's going to hit. It's just going to take him a minute because this doesn't – like, not everybody's Tyler Keenan, you know. Um, I mean, if, if everybody was Tyler Keenan, you'd win a World Series uh, quickly. But, you know, they're not. Sometimes take time to develop. That's why I've just always chuckled at the Elko, Elko thing. But, yeah, look, I, I didn't think Ole Miss played particularly well last night, but it's a – it's a midweek game in front of 800 people and, you know, just is what it is. After you just came off a sweep, you're, as long as you win, it doesn't really make a crap if you don't play well. And as we were recording this, just a quick note, I know I'm kind of all over the place, but Bama is going Tyler Rass, Dylan Smith, Smith. both right-handers, and then Antoine Jean. There's Jean. no way that's the way it's pronounced. That is French or something. Uh, but he's a lefty going on Sunday. Yeah, that's that That was a rotation in Arkansas last weekend. So That's the um, first lefty they'll face uh, this season on the mound. And I say an SEC play. That's a three-game sample size. It's the first SEC lefty they'll face will come Sunday. Right. Uh, I don't know if Auburn brought in a kid. Auburn brought in Tom Glavin's kid. So I didn't know if you knew that. I but, had uh, that joke written down to say that last week. Is that actually his son? Yes. No, that's his son. Okay, so two legends on the field at one time, John Bench's son and Tom Glavin's son. And Tim Hudson was there. And they brought in Owen out of the pen, which I thought was weird. Did you notice that, Auburn? Yeah, it, I, they got to get him going. I don't, he's not healthy, but they ain't winning without Jack Owen. So, uh, they better get that figured out. But first, but, let's starter Ole Miss's face uh, this yes. year in SEC play. I don't know if that means a whole hell of a lot, but just something that literally they, came across my email. They – uh, they hit lefties better than they hit righties. You know, that's that's never been the case this year. Uh, or it's never really been the case. And you would think as left-handed dominant as Ole Miss is right now, that wouldn't be the case. But their numbers right now are better against lefties than righties. And I would say Kevin Graham's probably the epitome of that. Yeah. I mean, he smashed his lefties. So, um, that that, coming really into good. the year, that was a question as to whether he could actually play every day or be a matchup guy. Yeah. Well, that question's answered. That that question has been answered because he's really really good right now. He is, and uh, that's a. I have a couple of numbers. I got a, a game that's not really a game to play in a second. Okay. Um, but from an Ole Miss perspective, you know, you get Nikhazy back on Saturday. Like the, oh, of course it's not a damn Saturday. This couldn't line up perfectly. I was about to say like <laughs> the original Doug Day is back, but of course this is Thursday, Friday, Saturday. But now my brain's really in a pretzel looking at the weather forecast. Maybe it is um, an actual uh, Doug Day. Nah, they'll, put, they'll play a doubleheader Friday. Oh, yeah, I guess that would be true because you wouldn't yeah. – yeah, so two Friday. Anyway, but you get Doug back in game two. I, I just wonder if 
not as you think we'll notice anything different about Nikhazy since it's not a traditional Friday night role. I mean, no. you, you can answer that for this or going forward. I, I, I don't think so. I, I didn't think I saw anything that changed in Doug. I mean, he just – look, he's a guy with an 88-90 mile-an-hour high spin rate fastball with a good curveball and good changeup and uh, works really well, works ahead and counts. And, um, you know, that's – you know, it that could play for a lot of teams on Friday nights. But when you have what Ole Miss has to be able to put on Friday night, I mean, he's, he's your Saturday guy. So, no, I, I don't think there's going to be much difference there. I think just the way he translates, he's a really good college pitcher that's really – it's difficult to forecast his professional stock, but a little bit easier. I mean, he gets the benefit of throwing with his left hand. I mean, he's just kind of a dogged college pitcher. I don't think Nikhazy would be a four-year guy, but if he were, like, slightly less talented, he would be a SOB four-year uh, starter. Yeah. Um, my thing with Doug – and I'll do this with left-handers. There's right-handers that I don't necessarily buy this on. If you're Doug Nikhazy and you dominate the SEC like he did in 2019 and like he did in, you know, non-con teamed in 2020, and if he does it again this year, I just think that I'd take a chance on a left-hander that kicks one of the best, you know, conferences in the nation's teeth in for three years. I think I'd probably just take a chance on that guy. Because, I mean, you don't you do not do that by accident, and especially with, you know, as, as attractive as left-handers are. Agreed. Um, could not agree more on that. But just kind of hitting the highlights outside of that, we kind of hit it. Alabama pitches pretty well, can hit pretty well. Is there anything we should look out for uh, pin-wise or just anything else outside of um, the basics? They're, they're pretty right-handed dominant outside of Gene. Uh, we'll call them that for Sunday. Uh, they have – They're going to get to Sunday and the announcer's going to be like, John. One. One. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> um. But, yeah, they, they don't really trust the two lefties that they throw out of the pen. They uh, they got one kid, I can't recall his name, that uh, he's like their Broadway. He's thrown like 14 innings this year and hadn't given up a run. So, if you're down late, you're going to see him. I don't know what he has stuff-wise. I just – I was looking at his stats the other day. Third against Arkansas and was really good. Um, Is I, it the I, Shamblin kid? No, it's not the Shamblin kid. He, uh, he finished off the game on Friday night when they were up 16-1. to 1. I cannot recall this kid's name. I wish I could. But – uh, you know, uh, frankly, if you made me guess this series, I would guess Ole Miss wins it uh, two to one. But I, I'm not the least bit. I think it's a really good matchup for Ole Miss. I think there's a very good possibility that goes three and up. I think it is as well. Uh, I would agree with that. You know, this team, though, they look like a different team from a focus perspective. And maybe it was just kind of getting bored with playing. I mean, they essentially played what Ole Miss has played 21 games. They yeah. simply played 40-something non-conference games in a row. Like, right. At a certain point, that's got to be tedious because it's not an SEC weekend. And you kind of – I thought you kind of saw – you know, it's hard to, to quantify this and, like, tangibly point to anything, but it kind of a different lock-in and a different focus. I mean, how they took the first two games and then stepped on Auburn's neck with 14 runs. Yes, it got hairy at the end, but that's got to be some kind of indicator of – not a shift in mindset of what this team's mindset is when it actually matters. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. I mean, yeah. You've got, you know, like you said, you play 16 non-conference games last year. You play whatever this year. Uh, at some point, you just kind of want to get into SEC play, and you don't play well for a weekend against UCF. Maybe you lose some focus for two games against Louisiana Tech, and then you all might whatever. It's not going to really matter at the end. I mean, yeah, I'm completely with you there. Small note, um, <laughs> when Ole Miss gave up nine runs in the eighth, excuse me, the eighth the other day, 
their win percentage went from 99.9% to 99.8%. But that did not stop me from yelling at the radio on the way home. Well, you were a dinger away. I don't know what win percentage – win percentage always cracks me up. Ryan Rosillo makes this point a lot where it's like, yeah, it's somewhat useful, but, like, no shit a team has a better win, chance to win the game when they're up a bunch of points as opposed to not up a bunch of points. It kind of cracks me up when, like, you get the social media viral posts out of, like, look at this team's win percentage when they held a 20-point lead. You see it in the NBA a ton. And then, like, they blow a 20-point lead as teams do in the NBA nowadays, and it was like – they went from a 98% percentage to zero. It's like, thanks. <laughs> they lost. But that is weird that it only dropped 0.1% after scoring nine runs. I don't know if I necessarily buy that because, as we mentioned on Sunday's show, you know, that whoever it was allowed the runner on, then Mallets comes in. If Mallets gives up a dinger and it's 14 to 11, and Auburn still has five outs to play with, I guess it would have been. Maybe six. I don't remember. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't care what the win percentage says. It's not 99.8. <laughs> no um you think it was interesting I, I don't really have an opinion on it that might let broadway close it out on tuesday night so that's what i was about to get to so i thought you know i you know it's interesting I, i've watched uh, as much old miss baseball as i can this year to say i've watched every inning of every game is just not true there have been a couple of days where i've had stuff going on going to the golf course but particularly since i've started this i've tried to keep up as much as i can i like it, it, it anyway like i'm not saying like i'm just casually watching I guess it's a long-winded way of saying I watched every pitch of that baseball game yesterday. How about that? I uh, well, that makes one of us because I did not watch a single one. I don't. I'm not sure there's anyone else that did. I got home from work at a decent hour. I flipped it on. I was like, you know, I'm gonna go run, go work out, or whatever. And I literally. Oh wow, wow! You're a workout guy now. It's a, no, it's not a workout guy. Well, we actually, I'll have a little bit of a workout story corner at the end of this podcast. I am uh, firmly against doing anything working out now. But you, I'll explain why later. I did make it a New Year's resolution to run slightly just to kind of start feeling better. So I was like, I, uh, I'm going to go run, work out, whatever. And literally from until the bottom of the night that I didn't, I didn't move. Like I ordered DoorDash. So other than picking up. Food, <laughs> so like that's the anti-workout. Yes, pretty much. So I watched every pitch of that game. And it was probably the first game I've watched every single pitch of it in a week or two at least. But anyway, <laughs> I thought the pitch, the way he stacked the pitching thing yesterday was kind of interesting. Richard Cross, good, uh, you know, former colleague of mine, who was actually tweeting me during the broadcast yesterday, power moved by Dick, uh, flexing the multitasking skill set while calling a baseball game, mentioned it as it pertains to Broadway. He thought it might be a pin day, but my it is. It was Friday a pin day. and Saturday, and I guess that's just exactly what it was. Was a pseudo bullpen day is why he yeah. played. Is why he went. Yeah, no, it, it is his pin day. Um, yeah, and you know you. Look, people – I had I had a buddy put this in our group message. It's like, yeah, but – and look, he, that guy knows – the guy that I'm talking about knows baseball really well. But he was like, yeah, but, you know, you have all this adrenaline when you come in. It's not exactly like – and I'm like, bro, you don't have any adrenaline when it's 5-2 to two on a Tuesday night in front of 400 people and UCA is in the dugout. There's no adrenaline. You're just throwing fastballs. And uh, that, that that's really all it was. He, I think he threw 10 pitches and – let me tell you that that has no bearing on the uh, on his ability to pitch on Thursday night. And while I don't think the game gets played on Thursday night, if it does, Taylor Broadway will be 100% fine to close it if need be. Hopefully, if you're on Miss, there doesn't a need to close it with Gunnar Hoagland on the mound. Yeah, I just wonder if that game's nine to two. If Broadway doesn't just throw a bullpen and never comes in the oh, game. Oh yeah, no, he doesn't. He doesn't pitch if it's yeah. Yeah, but so so you're saying that the the purple and and gray of the. <laughs> of the uh, UCA Bears does not get uh, Taylor Broadway's juices pumping. I, I may have no. some questions about that, but I'll read an excerpt from my newsletter on Wednesday. Go subscribe to it. 
rippywrites.substack.com. All you have to do is type in your email. It's free. My note from the newsletter today was as follows. Taylor Broadway apparently had no regard that the gentleman in the red uh, dugout wearing purple and gray presumably had families watching that game. <laughs> he did uh, just – he gave a man two swords. Two oh, swords. <laughs> Dude, he threw 12 pitches. He threw fastball, 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 like, you know, a couple get him up in the head. He wasn't even really trying to toy with them. But the hammer he threw to two of those kids was what just fair. stupid. Some poor kid, the kid that was hitting from the left side or whatever, or maybe it was the right side, and Broadway threw it over the slider or whatever it was to the left. The kid checked swing and, like, didn't even look at the umpire to be like, did I go? Are you going to give me the benefit of the doubt? Just kind of started walking back to the tailgout. It's like, I don't want any more part of that. I also ended that note by saying they would have not made contact with the tennis racket. Oh, no, God, no. Um, <laughs> Richard yeah. was on the broadcast. He goes, Taylor Broadway is locked in. It's like, yeah, no shit. Like, I mean, I was surprised, too, by that being that locked in. But, good Lord, he was good. Yeah, yeah. He uh, – no, but I don't think it has anything to do with adrenaline. I just think that has to do with being a freak. Um, and he is, man. Like, at, Ole Miss might have one of the best, like, uh, closers in the country along with one of the best pitcher or starters in the country, which that's not all – that's never a bad thing to have because I'm pretty confident in saying not many people are going to have a Taylor Broadway on the back end. Would agree. Uh, in addition, if Ole Miss can get some guys right, the depth in the middle, which is a pretty good transition, way better than the one I just yes. tried to make a second ago, was what was actually interesting is how Mike used his bullpen in relief of Josh Mallett yesterday. He threw five guys in relief of Mallett's. We covered Taylor Broadway. With respect to Mitch Morrell, uh, had he pitched this year? I meant to look that up. Was that first or yeah, second? Yeah, no, that was the second time at least. Good for Mitch. The other three guys actually mattered. Austin, uh, Jackson Kimbrell, Austin Miller, and Braden Forsyth came in. And those are all three dudes that Ole Miss, you know, the best version of themselves, need to count on them if needed on a weekend and need them to be good. And they just happen to be three guys. I would say Forsyth, was, his struggles have been a little bit longer standing to where Kimbrell yeah. and Miller have just kind of come off rough outings. But the larger point here is it was three guys that have been kind of just working through stuff. And I thought all three of them pitched – fairly well. Kimbrell gave off the leadoff single, and then there was some kind of Mickey Mouse defense, including on his own part, that let that run come around. But neither one of them got slapped. Like, none of the three got slapped around. I thought they all pitched pretty well. Yeah, um, I think they're still going to probably need to see some more out of Forsyth before they trust him on an SEC weekend. But yeah, um, you know, obviously Miller and Kimbrell were the first two calls to the pen against Auburn on Saturday when they had to had to bridge it to Broadway. Um, so it must need to be good. Uh, you know, and they weren't on Saturday. Just to put it lightly, they weren't on Tuesday against Louisiana Tech. Against Louisiana Tech. I mean, it just – been some rough outings for those two. And, then frankly, Ole Miss needs them, especially Jackson Kimbrell. He has to be good. Um, they, they have to have a left-handed presence out of that, out of that bullpen, and, and he's it right now. Um, and, you know, before last night, he hasn't really had good outings. So, Ole Miss needs him to be good. And, and yeah, you're right. I mean, he, he got guys' outings that, that – He's going to count on this weekend because if they don't pitch well, um, you're going to have to ask, you know, starters like Doug and Diamond to, to get deep into games where, you know, it's tough on these starters where, you know, everybody looks at the strikeout numbers. It's like, yeah, they're striking out a ton of people. It means you're throwing a ton of pitches too. Um, so hard on them guys, those guys to go seven, eight innings when you're striking out 15, you know, people over seven or over six innings. 
particularly when the guy in the middle that you mentioned is coming off an injury. And I don't right. think Mike's going to be uber cautious with them, but to say if he gets around 90 pitches, Mike's not going to be like, you know what, to hell with it. He'd get 110 there, Douglas. Um, if, if you're Mike, and, and this isn't really a big deal because I don't think Gunner's going to need this, you you hold Drew McDaniel from that first game for Doug Nikhazy insurance, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. I mean, unless shit gets weird, and I don't, I actually, with, it has to get real weird. I was about to say, with with it being the first game of the series, I'm not even sure. I mean, unless that game got beyond, it goes odd, I don't even I know guess. a scenario where it's like, yeah, I have to fire McDaniel here. Like, I got to fire that bullet now. So, yeah, I would say almost a hundred percent. Yeah, you, you keep that guy. Now, if Doug gets through a fine, I mean, you can do whatever with him on, on Saturday. But, yeah, you, you keep that one for Doug McKay's insurance because you don't want to get in the situation where, you know, Doug has to come out after the second inning and you're trying to piece together a second game of a series with, without Drew McDaniel because that's going to be tough. Agree. And that was kind of another note that I had written down at, to wrap up the Alabama series. One last thought on these three relievers, though. You know, Miller looked pretty good. I agree, kind of needing to see more from Forsyth. We mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. Was it UCF or it had to be UCF where he looked bad? Um, yeah. I mean, and that was he, where we kind of talked about how he's not going to be used in a high leverage situation for a while and he needs to go to the midweek to kind of figure some things out, which is exactly what's happening. But again, you know, he looked pretty good yesterday, but like you mentioned, probably need to see a little bit more. The other two guys, there is no see a little bit more. Like, no, they got unless that. everything goes perfectly on the mound from a starter's perspective, they're going to need both of them, particularly Kimbrell because he's left-handed. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's just – put it as simple as it is. I mean, he, that, those two have got to be good, um, you know, and, and so they've got to be able to – pitch yesterday? That was – that was, I dodged the question for about ten minutes. Maybe a bullpen for – like, I wrote maybe a bullpen for one, if not all three of them, but why do you think they pitched yesterday? Because I think they needed some confidence going into Alabama. Because, I mean, you look at Austin Miller, Jackson Campbell, those last two outings have not been good. Um, and you, you want those guys to have some confidence going into this weekend. Otherwise, I mean, you're putting them out there on a, on a Friday night um, after Doug's going five innings and they got to bridge three innings to Broadway without, you know, without much uh, confidence. And that's not a great thing. Agreed. So two more, well, three actually, two more things as it pertains to this series, one more baseball thing, and then we'll get to some football before we get out of here. You brought up an interesting point earlier about, so we, we had this discussion for about a week and a half about how, you know, is it going to be Drew McDaniel that stays in the rotation or is it going to be Derek Diamond? And both of us were kind of leaning towards it's going to be Drew McDaniel and Derek Diamond is going to be a high leverage relief guy. Um, it's, you know, when, when Doug Nikhazy does come back, the weirdness of last weekend where they both pitched well, Diamond was really good. They just kind of left Diamond in it. You know, I think we talked about this on Monday, but that was partially, like, probably deserves it, partially managing personalities to where Diamond, if he hadn't been entrenched as the Sunday guy and all those starts last year until the shutdown, it may be easier to make the switch if you wanted to. But be that as it may, it is Hoagland, Nikhazy, Diamond. So how is Drew McDaniel used this weekend and when? I'm fascinated by that. Of course, it's going to be dictated by the way the game goes. I think we can rule out Friday. I say Friday. Game one. I'll just start saying yes, game one. If at all possible. In your mind, boring something odd, where do you think he's used and when? Game two. I, I think, if you want my honest opinion, I think – what they want is is Doug to pitch like Doug. They're not. I don't think they're going to have any you know call, uh, setbacks on him or 
or restrictions on him. But I think what they would like is, you know, in, in, in a dream world, here's what Ole Miss wants. They want Gunnar Hoagland to hand the ball to Taylor Broadway in first game. Second game, uh, assume it, and, and again, let's assume that this is played Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, for right now, I don't see that happening. But, we'll, you know, and for this hypothetical, we'll assume that. I think on Friday night, they would like Doug to be able to hand the ball to Drew McDaniel and Drew McDaniel to then hold hand the ball to Taylor Broadway. Agreed. Um, for two or three outs, whatever it is. I don't think yeah. – you, you took the words out of my mouth there to where Broadway has proven he's gone back-to-back days, but you want McDaniel to go all the way up to the ninth. You don't want – Yes. You don't want Broadway going five outs for the second day. Right. If and then – and then on on Saturday you have Kimbrel Miller, um, West Burton, and figure it out because you you don't have to figure it out. Um, and but, let me tell you, know, you that, about that's pretty lethal. Yeah, well, and but see, this is where everything changes if you have to play a Saturday double or a Friday double header because Broadway can't close. I guess he could, but you would be it would not be advisable to ask a man to close two games in the same day. It's also still March. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I don't – Mike's never done that. When they play doubleheaders, I have – and I and I keep track of this. I'm weird about this. Um, he doesn't throw guys twice in a doubleheader, and you shouldn't. You don't, you don't get them hot and then let them pitch and then go sit them down and get them hot again and then put them back in. It's not really a thing. So, I, I would not expect if Taylor Broadway closes the first game on Friday that he comes back and closes the second game, which puts an emphasis on Ole Miss's offense. Hey, score Gunners some runs so you don't have to waste him in that first game. Yeah, that's a that's a really really good point that I had not thought about, and I know it's going to affect the way Alabama manages their pitching staff too. But presumably, without knowing the minute details of how is that guy's name Mitch Gaspard now? Or is he gone? No, no, no. no. Uh, Gaspard was there until twenty sixteen. Uh, it is Brad Bohannon. Brad Bohannon, that's right. I, knowing these Alabama coaches' names, honestly, is pretty impressive. But anyway, <laughs> I don't know without knowing the minutia of how Bohannon is going to manage his pitching staff. A doubleheader plays into the advantage of the worst team here, right? Like, yes. It, it, what you just outlined, perfect scenario, if they play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and if it goes, you know, there's no guarantee it's going to go to plan. But presumably with Alabama not being able to hit, if it lines up anywhere close to that first scenario you outlined, you know, good luck to the Alabama Crimson Tide. That, that's brutal. But to your point, if you, if you can get two games to where Taylor Broadway and name whoever else – can only be seen once as opposed to seeing them twice in two days. That's a pretty big advantage for Alabama. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. Let's just pretend that I don't look, I haven't mastered the weather forecast for Thursday. Let's just pretend that they start this game at six o'clock on Thursday night and there's rain all in the forecast. Anyway, that, that Ole Miss just said, absolutely not. We are not throwing Gunnar Hoagland three innings and having to sit him for the rest of the weekend and maybe gives Drew McDaniel the ball. Now, that would be fascinating. But does that change they, a whole hell of a lot other than it kind of eliminates the carrot of being able to use McDaniel in relief? Well, yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't waste Gunnar Hoagland for three innings because Gunnar can't come back if he throws three innings on Thursday night. Well, if he played for Mike Martin, he might. Um, <laughs> there's Did not you a imagine, ton of people that are going to understand that, that quip, but that's okay. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. That, that's, that's interesting and, you know, don't ever – I promise you, if I was still working, don't ever ask Mike Bianco about rain or the rain delay or the weather because he hates that. But that's a good point. This this weather could make this get screwy, which if you really want to consolidate this whole argument – this whole conversation, 
it almost makes the sweep even bigger, right? Because if the weather gets screwy this weekend and Ole Miss drops some weird game where they can't align the pitching the way they want to, it's kind of like it's less consequential, I guess. I won't yes. say eh, but it is less consequential because you swept. Right, absolutely. Um, I don't know. That that would be interesting. I will tell you, I did watch um, in 2013. The skies were about to pour open. Um, and Mike sent Bobby Wall to the bullpen to get loose. And Bobby threw 16 pitches and struck off the side. And the skies opened and Bobby couldn't pitch the next day. <laughs> so, that you know, it's a little bit of precedent there. I, I would venture he probably still goes with Hoagland and just praise to God he doesn't get screwed. I, if I was me, man, and we played tomorrow night, I'd have a tough time sending that cat to the mound looking at the forecast. I don't think he has a weather guy. I think Mike's his own weather guy, but that is an interesting thing to monitor as to how that looks. You know, do you think, hold on, do you think in uh, 2018, you remember they went to Alabama and had to play, had to beat Alabama and Arkansas had to lose for them to win the West? And like they had this rain delay. Do you think Mike, like, sat in there and watched the weather because if they couldn't get back on the field they couldn't win the west do you think like mike just sat there and watched the weather and cried the whole time no i don't think he cried i think he would probably try to get whatever uh meteorologist phone number that was to yell at him as if it's his fault <laughs> please fix this fix this now how dare you for forecast that like i think in mike's mind whatever that guy in the suit who's sweating in front of a teleprompter whatever he said was what the weather was going to be and so, therefore, it's his fault. I have this – this goes back to my long-standing theory that Mike treats everyone in his life like an umpire. And so, if he wanted to, he could be like, you know what, you're talking with your hands, weather guy, I'll talk with my hands too, and then I'll start pointing in your face. That's probably what he wanted to do. <laughs> no, Mike's not big on weather. He does not delay games or cancel games until, like, the hour before, even though the forecast says, hey, buddy, you're not playing. Oh, and don't ask him about it. We could be, we could have been standing in right field with a tornado on those tennis courts within 200 yards behind us, and I could be like, Mike, do you think we should move? And he would just absolutely berate me for asking about the weather. <laughs> so he, like, takes that, that seriously? He does not enjoy weather questions. I don't know why. He's never explained why, but he gets real chappy if you ask him about the weather. I'll leave the, uh, the first time – I ever covered a baseball game for the Daily Mississippian. It was me and Chase. It was a midweek game. And uh, Chase had tweeted out earlier in the day. It was like, uh, yeah, this game won't be happening unless there's a canoe. Well, apparently the showers moved. And, uh, like, Mike walks up, looks at Chase, and was like, so did you get on your freaking canoe? <laughs> I was like, geez, nice way to start this off. Uh, you know, 20, I like to think 2021 Mike Bianco is a little bit of a softer, yes. uh, softer soul, but tw boy, 2018, that was, that was, you know, Chase always tell these, these urban legends about how bad Mike was back in the late two thousands. Um, and I, I don't doubt it. I mean, I've heard stories from other people as well, but I think 18 was close to that. Uh, just because was, of the pressures and everything else. Have you, have you heard, how does this affect Mike Bianco? I have, I have, I have heard the story. <laughs> <laughs> I won't give the full details on that because, one, I was not there. Two, it involves Mike's family. So I don't even want the, the possibility. No. Yes, yes, I have. Very on brand. <laughs> we should move on. Yes. Uh, so I got one last, one last uh, Ole Miss baseball-related thing to uh, run by you before we get to – I'd like to play an SEC baseball game, and then we'll get to football and get out of here. 
I don't necessarily I, – again, I, I, I'm not a huge analytics geek. I understand it. I, I think in college baseball, it should be taken into account. It obviously has been implemented. We've talked about this the way Mike's used it with the way he's developing pitchers now. So don't think when I'm throwing out batting average here, I'm like – I think it's necessarily indicative of anything, but in terms of large trends, I still think the basic stats are fairly indicative of kind of who your better and worst players are. And I found this interesting today. This is not breaking news, but who who is one, two, and three for Ole Miss in batting average? Graham Elko Dunhurst. It is. It's technically Chatagnier, but he's only played. Yeah, he doesn't qualify. Right, he doesn't qualify. He, he qualifies technically on Alex's sim stat sheet. But 10 games, throwing Chatagnier out of there. You're going to ask me who's fifth, aren't you? No, 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 I'm not. Who is okay. one, two, and three in slugging percentage? Elko, Graham. Am I right there? Yes, correct. I'm going to say something weird because – and it may not be after last night. I knew Plumley was up there for a little bit because uh, he hit, hit the homer, but he doesn't qualify. No, uh, these are only qualifying dudes. Only qualify. All right, so Elko and Graham were my easy choices. Uh, it's not Chatney, uh, not Gonzo. I don't think. Uh, not Bench. I have no idea. Dunhurst by twenty five percentage. Oh, so it's the same three guys. <laughs> yeah, overshot and yay. And then Trey LaFleur is next. There's really not a regular contributor. I say regular contributor. That's shot and yay because of the ten games because of injury. Um, until Jacob Gonzalez at 457, but Dunhurst is at five, um, at 525. Who is Ole Miss's top three in on-base percentage? Dunhurst is one. Um, Correct, by a lot. Yeah, he's like, he was 500 before last night. Um, I'm not going to say Elka. I'm, I'm not. I'm going to say Graham. I think Graham is. Uh, Elko's, am I right on Graham? Elko's second, Graham third. Okay, so it is. It's the same three guys. Who is one, two, and three for Ole Miss on OPS? Oh, that's it's it's uh, Graham Elko Dunhurst. Elko Dunhurst Graham, but the order doesn't matter. What oh does yeah, that yeah. Tell you? It's the same three guys for every statistic, and I would say two, four of the, three of the four categories. It's not that close like it's not a it's not a seismic gap but there's a sizable gap between three and four where you're not talking about percentage points and I know Justin Bench played a valuable role in kind of stabilizing the lineup with Chatagnier's uh, absence Chase Parham wrote a nice story about that but what does that tell you that uh those are your three best hitters and 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 those guys are really good and they can handle both both righties and lefties which is a big deal it is a huge deal and that doesn't include Chatagnier, who's still coming back from injury. Jacob Gonzalez, who has not been any schmuck at the plate by far. I actually think he's hit slightly better than I would have maybe thought this early as a freshman. Would you agree or sure. disagree with that? Sure, I absolutely agree. Um, and then you're getting Justin Bench. And we haven't gotten to Ben Van Cleaver or any of those guys. I guess what I'm trying to get at is I wasn't trying to quiz you on – like one, two, and three when I was asking you that. I know you were trying to get it in order. You actually did way better than I thought on the percentage points getting it in order. But if you have those three guys as your clear-cut best hitters and you're not even – like Chatagnier, Bench, and uh, whoever else emerges out of the McCants, LaFleur, that whole deal, and Ben Van Cleve and Leatherwood, those guys haven't even entered the conversation yet. When this team's functioning at full capacity, that has the potential to be a pretty nasty lineup. Yeah, that's, that's the hope. That's the hope, right? Like you, some of those guys get better because, you know, a lot of people, and I get it, 
are kind of frustrated with Ben Van Cleve. And look, I, any, if anybody doesn't believe in batting average, it's me. Uh, but dude's hitting like what, 278 or something? Uh, yeah, he just he's hit a bunch at, of singles. Let's see. Ben Van Cleve is hitting at 273. Yeah. I mean, he's hitting a bunch of singles. He hit the world's longest single the other day. Um, you know, so I, I kind of believe in Ben Van Cleve. Um, yeah, look, you just got to get a Calvin Harris. You got to get a Hayden Leatherwood or, you know, uh, TJ McCants is playing well, but if he continues to hit, yeah, I mean, you've got three guys that can really bash the baseball. I think Justin Bench is completely fine. I think Jacob Gonzalez is going to be a really good player, and he's already hit better than, like you said, we probably expected him to. And Peyton Chatney is a, st- uh, is a hoss. So, yeah, I, I think this lineup's got a chance to be really good. And when you, you know, correlate that to their pitching, I mean, Good God, they've they've got a really sh- good shot, and, and you know we knew this going in. They've got a shot to do something special, and I don't think that anything you know what twenty one games in has changed my mind. I think this team is you know if they play like they should, is a national seed. Uh, you can debate one through eight if you'd like, but I don't really think that there's any debate that this team's ceiling is is being a national seed. Oh, completely agree, and maybe that 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 whole exercise did nothing for anyone. But just seeing those three guys as the clear-cut best hitters on the team right now, and when Chatagnier gets back to an, enough games to qualify, he's only played 10. He missed 10, pretty easy going, or missed 11, whatever it was. Yeah. Missed 10, he sat the other day, presumably just to rest the hamstring. Right. Whatever. I guess my point being is when he gets back toward enough games to qualify, like he has a chance to break up that trio. Um, I mean, he was right. damn close on a couple of those, just, again, not enough games to really make it, make it an actual point. I don't know why, but for whatever reason, when I viewed it through that lens, where those three guys are by far and away your three best hitters right now, and there's four dudes knocking at the door who have not been bad by any means, I mean, that kind of crystallized it for me. We're like, this team has a chance to be like, I hate doing this in March, but people are going to hate it, and it would be better received when they've gotten through a couple rounds in June. But they've got all-time potential. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I mean – if you're a good team in the SEC, you can do damage. There are five teams right now in the SEC that if you told me, hey, they win the national title, I'm like, oh, that's, that's, that doesn't shock me. Um, you know, Ole Miss State, Arkansas, Florida, Vanderbilt, you tell me any of those five teams won the national title, I'll say, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, you know, I, I, look, they're not ranked a number. That's the thing that always kind of frustrated me is, look, I get rankings all matter. Um, but when everybody was criticizing this team, it's like Division One baseball ranks them number four. Like maybe let's just calm down for a minute. It is also hilarious to watch like Kendall Rogers and Aaron Fit take all this flack for all these rankings. Like I mean, it's it's really mostly state Arkansas and Ole Miss fans. Like it's like we're six. Like what the what the hell? It's like what does it matter? <laughs> it's March. If you're a national seed, it literally does not matter. Now, is there a different path between the first overall and the eighth? Yeah. Sure. But if you're top, if you're ranked top five, top six in the country, it does not matter. Who cares? We're uh, we're not there yet. I want to clarify this. We are not there yet. It's too early to care. Uh, but if anybody does care, um, Ole Miss's RPI is 15, and that will only go up. That is a great spot to be in. So, again, too early to care, too early to look at, probably three weeks from being able to take it seriously. But I will say this, you don't go down by winning. So, you know, that is that is a good thing. Agreed. 
Last thing we'll do, I think that wraps up some talk. We'll, uh, we'll, Colin and I will be back at it with baseball for Mailbag Sunday. Uh, again, putting God on the hot seat. The People's Holiday. Uh, going on a Mailbag Sunday. How about that? Uh, <sighs> if one of us gets struck by lightning, we should probably never do that again. But I'm just saying, church might be the most Im- second most important thing you do on Sunday outside Ooh. of celebrating the People's Holiday. Ooh. Just, just, be really, just be really let me have it. <laughs> <laughs> so we might do a mailbag i don't know if you can celebrate the same way of people's holidays on a sunday we won't make this a regular thing but uh you know we might have to go ch- co-champions with jesus oh, wait. Does, does it get released on sunday or does it get released on monday it i you know what we'll release it on sunday just because i've already okay. put my heels in i've already pitted myself <laughs> against the man upstairs for this one so. Oh, God. We're releasing on Sunday. So be prepared for that. I don't think we're going to do a mailbag Friday. We'll do a mailbag Sunday. Uh, let's do one more baseball exercise before we talk some football and get out of here. Sure. Let's just start doing an SEC series pick em. I have no sure. idea how in the hell like this will work, if any, there will be any interest in it. I don't – you know, I follow the league. Per, I would say, you know, closer than most. I know you follow it extremely closely. Like, I know enough about each team to make educated guesses sure. each week and, like, what matchups or what. So let's uh, roll it through it. We didn't do it last week. So in order to keep it fair, I'm going to pencil me down for 7-0 and and you 0-7. and <laughs> That seems totally fair. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll do a nine-week one. So we'll start we'll start 0-0. Zero and zero, But just rapid fire real quick. Uh, LSU is going to Tennessee this weekend. Tennessee's 12th in the country. Can't hit. But Tennessee. 12. Tennessee. Two out of three are sweet. Two out of three. Okay, we'll go you'll get we'll go one point for we'll go one point for getting it right, and if you guess the two out of three of her sweep, we'll add an additional point. All right, sounds good. Ole Miss at Alabama. Ole Miss three. Okay, I'm going Tennessee two of three, and I'm going Ole Miss. I'll go two of three just because you've got me overthinking it with the weather. Yeah, yeah, that that that's tough. Yeah. Kentucky goes to Auburn. Oof. Kentucky. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I'll Kentucky. say so two out of three. Kentucky two, yeah. I'll go Auburn two. Florida okay. travels to kind of a plucky South Carolina team. Uh Florida two. I'll go South Carolina two. Give me the upset there. Uh, another rock fight. Georgia goes to AM. Oh my God. Um, you said goes to AM. Yeah, so this game is in co- – this series, excuse me, is in College Station. A&M, too. I think A&M, too, as well. I, granted, I don't know a ton about Georgia. I just oh, know. Uh, yeah. Uh, they suck. A&M sucks. It's a suck fest. And isn't uh, – is Strickland still in the COVID protocols, Georgia's coach? He might be. I, think, I don't yeah. think he can coach this weekend. Maybe that was last week, but I think that happened this week. Uh, two more. The marquee series by far this weekend. I'll yeah. a decent bit of this. Arkansas goes to Mississippi State. Oh, God. Um, I want to be wrong, but Mississippi State, too. I think Mississippi State, too, as well. I think Arkansas is pretty good, but that's a, that's a kind of a, a circle at series. And if I'm not mistaken, the last time they met, met, which was 19, didn't State go to Fayetteville and get swept? They did. They did. And then State swept them when they came to Arkansas in 18. Not that any of that matters, but they do have some weird juju there. I'm going to go, particularly with a full-duty noble, I'm uh, I'm See, that's to here oh, easy now. They're not full yet. State's not full. I was look. I, let, let me be very, very clear. I work with uh, very closely with an assistant baseball coach who lives in Starkville. Big state fan. 
who has told me they are not fully open yet. And from looking at ticket prices, that seems accurate. Interesting. They're close, though, right? The, I would hope. I mean, my God, if, if they're not, something's wrong. I do think Star- – and I don't know how this works. I think Starville has a few more limitations on COVID stuff than Oxford does, so I don't know how that plays into it. But, yeah, I don't think they're 100% open yet, but that's not going to change my pick. I, uh, I still think State wins, too. I think State's better. Score – I do, too. Score one for Robin Tannehill. Uh, and then we've got <laughs> Vanderbilt, number one team in the country, uh, which, lucky for Kendall Rogers, they don't have fans to get mad about it if they move out, goes to uh, Missouri. So it's in Columbia, Missouri. Vanderbilt three. I'll go Vanderbilt three as well. I don't – Missouri kind of stinks. Not kind of. They, yeah. They well, I, I know they're winning too, so it's do I think they went on Sunday or not. <laughs> Very solid point there. So, those uh, – we'll just go ahead and say those picks are brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. I reminded you at the top of the show before we got started, go check those guys out. March Madness is back this weekend. You should go check out their March Madness package. They've got daily picks. This is the best time of the year to get in with a professional site that knows what they're doing. They're the inventor of the Skybox sports, the Skybox matrix algorithm that's been refined through testing for multiple years. They're hitting 60% on max plays, 57% on college basketball for the year. I have a hell of a stat to bring out with you. And I told you guys this when they first came, uh, we first partnered up with them. They are filthy at handicapping NASCAR. And so I'm just going to read this off the screen because to pretend like I know how to handicap NASCAR would just be a complete fabrication. They're up 14 units in NASCAR right now. Anything two plus units is 12 and four with two five. Yeah, excuse me. With and nine and two with three unit plays in NASCAR. If you were a NASCAR fan, you were literally just missing out on free money by not partnering with Skybox sports pick. They've got it going on on the track. Check them out for their March Madness picks. They're really good on over-unders. You should check these guys out. You use the promo code RIPPY, you get 25% or, excuse me, 20% off um, any sort of uh, purchase you make on the site. So go check them out. Skybox Sports Pick. Guys are great. Go profit. You only got one weekend of solid college basketball left. Obviously, Final Four is awesome, but it's only two games. So one weekend of mass college basketball games left. Why not uh, earn some extra money, go buy a driver, go buy whatever the hell it is you want with the extra cash. These guys will lead you to profit. Skyboxsportspicks.com. And I'll remind you one more time that Greg, LB's Greg, is going to have another special tomorrow, so go subscribe to the newsletter. Rippy writes at Substack.com. All you have to do is prove you're a subscriber to the newsletter, and you will get special deals at LB's. We had tons of people take advantage of the free pound of ribeye sausage giveaway to subscribers last week. Greg actually texted me and was like, we tell your JA shits they need to buy something when they come in here. Apparently we had some college kids roll in and just want the free pound of sausage. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, hope you sent the memo out. So in in, in fairness, I told Greg, I was like, one, we got to stop sipping on casual beers while we come out with these promos. We probably should have put a stipulation in there that you have to buy something else. I've been a broke college kid too. Greg wasn't actually mad about it. He thought it was kind of funny. Greg has no room to uh, shit on the MAIS. He's an MRA kid. But I found it funny. I could just see my brother's friends going in there and being like, hey, we're here for the sausage. We don't want to buy anything else. (laughs) I respect it. I've been there too. But go check him out. Go buy something else for him. We'll have a new special out in the morning. Pick you up a plate lunch. The plate lunches are dope. They are uh, dope, and he's just now bringing them back. They had this quick because of COVID for a while. Very good lunches. It's the absolute best place in Mississippi to get meat. We've got subscriber specials. It's a free newsletter. You're going to get information. You'll get at worst spammed by me once a day, 
and you're going to get free meat out of it. I don't really see uh, the downside to it. So go subscribe, rippywrights.substack.com, and enjoy the LB subscriber specials. We'll probably have a new one by the time you're listening to this. So anyway, before we get out of here, we probably feel obliged to cover some uh, spring football. Wrote about a bunch of notes. I say a bunch of notes, five, six notes in the newsletter on Tuesday before they, the day they got going. Um, you know, I think spring is kind of funny. Lane Kiffin offered the classic cliche, the depth charts written in pencil. Thank you, Lane. Um, If 66 scholarship dudes returning, we talked about this at the top of the show. I think the biggest storyline is pertains to quarterback is, you know, one with John Rice Plumlee out uh, for most of the spring at baseball, you know, Kiffin said, you know, he'll come if he can, but we let them fully commit to uh to to the sport they're playing he did throw in the jab that uh it is on their dime in terms of scholarship thing which i thought was funny but uh luke altmeyer and ken k dent are actually going to kind of have a crack to battle it out for qb2 because you know it seemed like a foregone conclusion that john rice Palmer was going to make the switch to slot lane kiffin claims they have had no conversations about it they'll settle it after baseball season i thought that'd be the case after the the success he had against indiana I guess it's not a foregone conclusion, but QB2 is kind of interesting in my mind. Yeah, that, that is interesting. It's interesting to have not had that conversation. I think anyone with any sense knows that conversation is coming, though. Um, but, yeah, uh, you know, Luke Altmaier is going to be a true freshman. Kincaid Dent's been around the program. Um, and the thing about Kincaid Dent, you know, I don't want to spend a ton of time on the kid, but I don't think he's a bad quarterback. Like, Ole Miss has had bad backup quarterbacks. I think with the right system and, you know, Lane and them coaching him, I think God freaking forbid something happened to Matt Crowd that he would actually be okay if they put him in a football game. Agree. He went to a fine high school too. Oh, I'm, my God. I'm a little bit you biased. Teach him every, you teach him everything you knew? I, I did. He probably saw my jersey hanging up in the gym. So, how many how many yards did you rush for, Jay? Uh, zero, unless you count really? – well, on the I brushed. I played sixth and seventh grade, sixth grade football on the same fields, but it was intramural. Wait, wait, so they have they have actually like sixth grade football. Oh yeah, JA had back when I was doing it. They had fifth and sixth grade football. They combined the two grades together, and you'd have like six teams between the two grades, and then you play each other wow. on like an eighty yard field. Jeez, that's kind of insane. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of kids. Nice. I know, but I guess you got to I mean. I guess you got to start somewhere. I mean, like most, like even other kids, I guess, would go to like city leagues before they did the whole junior high football. That's seventh grade. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah, but I think that's, uh, I think it's interesting. I don't know. Like, I'll be interested to see glimpses of Luke Aldmeyer. You as a fan can go see, I say you, collective you, the listeners as fans <laughs> can go to the uh, practices on Saturdays. Now, I don't think it's any secret that they're doing that so those prospects can show up to the practices or whatever. That seems to be you know, kind of the worst loophole, whatever, but open to the fans so you can see it. But uh, I think that's interesting. If you want to stay on quarterback for a second, we talked about it a little bit at the top of the show. This is the first time Matt Corral is not learning a new offense or learning a new coordinator or whatever the hell you want to do. He has continuity for the first time in his football career. Yes. And, and when we say football career, we mean high school. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's a big deal, man. Especially look, they, they about lost Levy. Uh, at least once during the off season, and then didn't happen. So good to be able to see them have that continuity and be able to uh, to continue to run that offense. Look, Matt Krause is a stud. We've said this for a while. Um, so you know he he he's going to be really good next year, and Ole Miss is going to be better for it. And and this spring, look, I don't think that I think 
Matt Corral is going to be really good this year. I don't think Matt Corral, to me, though, like I, I feel like he's not going to be one of the main uh, stories from this year because I think you're looking when you're look, talking about offense or not this year from this spring. When you're talking about offense, man, you're talking about receivers, right? Because we all saw what happened at LSU. They got to have some receivers play well this spring. They do. And that was really the third note I had behind the two quarterback things in the Tuesday newsletter. And it's an obvious storyline. You lose Kenny Yaboa and you lose, obviously, Elijah Moore, which I'll shout it into the abyss one more time. Elijah Moore going for almost 1,200 yards in eight conference-only games might be one yeah. of the more absurd statistics in this history of the sport, not just on this history. But that's a lot to replace. And, you know, you've got a newcomer in Mark Britt. Um, you got some other interesting options. But it's really going to come from within. Like, it, it's going to have to be, is Dontario Drummond, you know, going to kind of finally be a little more consistent threat on the outside? Is Jonathan Mingo going to actually realize the potential that they think he has? And is Braylon Sanders going to stay healthy? That's really going to be the difference there. The LSU game, despite all the yards and the points, was kind of painful to watch. And we discussed this on the Spirit podcast at the time. Because guys weren't getting open – and, yeah, they lost Elijah Moore. You remember Braylon Sanders went out of that game, I think, if I'm yep. not mistaken, and it got worse. So, like, Jared having Ely went out of that game. Yeah, having him helps. But somebody's going to have to step up, and you're not going to find it out, find it out in spring, but I think you'll get hints. Because I remember no. Elijah yep. Moore's freshman spring, even with all the Lodge, Metcalf, whomever, those trios still in the program, A.J. Brown, uh, you could tell from that spring, it was like, oh, Elijah Moore is going to be a stud immediately. And I just wonder if you get that half of that sense from any of those dudes. Yeah, you have to hope that you do because um, they need a – look, I think Dontario Drummond's a fine number two, number three receiver, same with Jonathan Mingo. But I, I don't think either of those guys, unless they get a heck of a lot better, are, are suited to be number one receiver. So, you know, if you're Ole Miss, you got to find the guy that you're going to be able to trust. Like you – look, I don't think that you're going to replace Elijah Moore. I do think you got to find the guy that Matt Crow trusts like he trusts Elijah Moore. Because there were times last year it was uh, all hell broke loose. And uh, Matt's, Matt's rationale was, all right, I got to find eight. And he found eight a lot. So you, you got to find that guy that, that Matt Crow has that type of level of trust in. Yeah, that's a good way to frame it, too. Is like, one, can, be, can one of those guys become a one? I'd have my doubts about. I would have my doubts, I would say, about one of them, maybe two. I just don't know what to make of Sanders at this point. Like if you tell me Braywin Sanders is healthy for 12 games, I would say, okay, sure. maybe, because he was really effective as a deep Absolutely. Uh, in kind of the spurts that he's played. But if they're not a one, none of them emerges as a one, I guess they could all be three twos, and you could still be pretty damn good. But the problem is if Drummond is the, the – Drummond he's been so far that's not consistent enough to make up for that same thing goes for Mingo and then Sanders if he just doesn't stay on the field then you're really just kind of in a predicament I mean it looks like yeah. the end of last year yeah I mean they got the transfer I believe from Western Kentucky that I think they think can play um but yeah I mean look this is the storyline for me um along with obviously the defense the defense has to be better if it's not then this is all moot but yeah, I mean, this is what, you know, look, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I keep up with spring football religiously, but I, what I do keep up with, it's going to be uh, what receivers are, are beginning to produce. Oh, absolutely. And to me, it's that. And then, like you mentioned on the defensive side of the ball, you know, this team, I was reading the spirit. Like, I want to cre credit where credit's due there. David Johnson wrote an article on Tuesday, I think, that I was reading. Um, uh -huh. 
and he pointed this out. I kind of knew they had a bunch of defensive backs. You know, they had 33 defensive backs on this roster. Shit. And Shit. Most of, all of them are returning. Like I say, all of them are returning starters. That sounds stupid. They returned everyone in the secondary. I'm not sure the starters are going to be the same dudes, but 33 defensive backs is interesting. They have to be better up front. There's just no way with those two GCO kids and Gordon um, Isaiah Iten. I think yeah. that's how you say the kid's name. And then uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Taiwan Malone. Yeah. They have to be better. There's no way they're going to be worse. It's just how much better. The sec- the linebacking core, I think, will be pretty good. The secondary will be fascinating. Like, does it turn into a kind of a ball hawk? Not ball hawking. Does it turn into a top half of the league secondary is probably the best way to put that. Yeah, I think it could. Especially, I mean, look, the, the secondary is always going to be correlate to how the defensive line is playing. Real quick, a uh, little breaking news. J- Jamin Brakefield's transferring. Um, I, get I saw that. that. Get, get the, I, I just saw that. Um, yeah, that's – that's. Mm. I wonder um, where he's transferring. Oh, Ole Miss. But, I mean, I mean, if you want my honest opinion, I think kids going to Ole Miss. But, yeah, no, I think this uh, – I think this secondary can be really good. I, I think, look, if you can get a consistent pass rush, because I think the addition of Otis Reese was, was massive. Dude. I thought he was – he showed that he's an extremely good player. Um, if you can get a consistent pass rush, I think there are some guys back there. You added DeAndre Prince back, too. Yeah, I think there's some guys back there that can make some plays, man. Who Prince was really long and really athletic when yes. he was on the field before he had to go back through the JUCO route was was really, really an interesting prospect. He wasn't always great. He he got burned and was out of position a lot of the times. But when he was, like, in position to make a play, he was really, really feisty. And it was like, oh, this kid, they got something here. So – I, that is – I don't know what to make of the defense. You're not going to actually know until next August or September or whatever, but you add the kid from Maryland, Campbell, whatever his name is, that's going to add to their linebacker depth. Presumably so. If they can rush the passer, they, they've got a chance to make a dramatic leap on defense, which – Yes. I don't want to go overboard here, and it's a huge if. I'm not saying they're going to be better defensively. You know, we talked about last year, and you were on this pretty early – Yes, lack of talent has been a huge issue for a half decade now for Ole Miss on the defensive side of the ball. But I think Mike McIntyre proved in 2019 it had been replenished a little. And last year it wasn't only a talent thing. Like They, they weren't always the, the, the most schemed up, I would say, in terms of it being the best fit. And maybe they were just kind of doing what they were going to do until they have the players in place. Sure. That part of it is going to be – it's going to be a little bit of a prove-it deal for Durkin – and Partridge as well in terms of, like, they don't need to look like a disaster for three of the 12 games next year from a schematic standpoint. No, no, then they, they won't, I don't think. I I, I think they're going to be talented enough where that, you know, you can amass some of the issues that, that you do have with, you know, lack of depth or whatever. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, there were some times last year you'd say, yeah, they're not talented, but also they have – they don't – they're not getting much better. Like, not talented people can still become better and, you know, I didn't really think at times that a lot of the guys were getting better. But that look, well, that, that and, and I got accused of this a lot. It's like I never said that Ole Miss fired DJ Dirk, and it's just like, yo, at some point are these guys going to be able to show some improvement? Um, and I didn't really see that at times last year. So hopefully this year you're able to see that. Um, you know, and, and I think you will. I think, look, I don't think that they necessarily did a great job on the defense side of the football last year, but also, like, D.J. Durkin was regarded as one of the best defensive coordinators in college football and was a head coach at a power five level. Um, and was a – I know he had the – look, I'm not going to minimize it as an off-the-field thing, but he was not a rising star in the coaching ranks even when he got to being a head coach. Off the field, sure. side. 
Sure. Um, you know, he, he's a bright football mind. So we, uh, we'll see. I, I, if I had to bet, I think that Ole Miss defense is a lot better next year. Agree. And I, again, I was about to say, I don't want to get carried away, but if they, if, if they are kind of make that jump to where you can kind of see the possibility of it going there, um, possibility, a long one, but you can see the, 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 a huge jump being possible, that changes your ceiling to, to oh. eight, nine-ish wins. Yeah. I yeah, mean, well, go beyond that, to say I, I'm going to get aggregated or some shit where it's going to be like this kid says they're going 10 and 2 on a podcast. No, That's not my point. Just, it changes your ceiling a lot. It does, but all right. Well, let's just work through this. This was this was an eight-win football team this year with you know an SC or a regular schedule with an absolute garbage defense. If they improve defensively, it's a ten-win team. And look around you, who are you losing to besides Alabama? Guaranteed. Nobody. Exactly. Nobody. And and you're talking about it. And I look, I get it. Um, I there's no world that. I would pick Ole Miss to beat Alabama. They were tied with them in the fourth quarter this year. They were, and there's a there's a chip on the shoulder or whatever cliche you want to use between sure. two men with the headsets. Look, I'm not saying that Ole Miss – look, if you made me pick right now, I would say Alabama wins by 21. Just saying, you know, this offense – what I am getting at is this offense gives you a shot pretty much every time you take the field. It is, and, it, and it's unlike past years where it's like, oh, they got to go to Auburn, that's an L. Like, that's yeah. – not no. the case at all, and it's like ah, LSU is going to be tough. LSU will be better from a talent perspective. You're telling me Ole Miss can't beat LSU and Oxford? Don't agree. LSU with should LSU should have beat LSU this year. They should have. And so there's not a team that Ole Miss can't beat on their schedule outside of I say can't beat. There's not a team Ole Miss is you know penciled in. I'll use the Lane Kiffin term: depth charts and pencil. The win loss schedules in pencil. You're penciling in a loss to Alabama outside. Oh, of, yeah. There's not a single one on the roster. I Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, I guess the next closest is A and M, um, but yeah, I'll, it should outside be of pretty that. good. But you you, you get them in, in Oxford. Oxford, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, the way it sets up too is like Ole Miss's road games. I mean, you're 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 going to state. Look, I mean, let's just be real. Ole Miss should beat Mississippi State in Starkville next year. Um, you go to Auburn. That's not overly daunting. And uh, what's the other SEC West road trip I'm missing? Oh, Alabama. We'll just call them a loss. And you go to Tennessee, who I don't think is very good. So you got three road trips that you're playing teams that you can beat. And then you come home in games that are at home that, you know, look, I think there's a chance Ole Miss is favored against LSU at home next year. Uh, you can beat A&M at home. Sure, you're going to be favored by 10 against Arkansas at home next year. I mean, that, that this has a chance to be an eight to – you know, I like we said ceiling wise, ten win football team. Yeah, I agree. And if they can get up for their Super Bowl on November six against the Liberty Flames, then there's really no Oh my god. I can't believe that's actually gonna happen. Hugh Freeze is coming back to Oxford. Hey, easy now. Season. We easy now. We we got we got nine months. Eight months. <laughs> that is easy. true. That's a lot of months. time for phone calls on university issued well, phones. I'm just saying well, the space is at well, now. A lot of time for back trouble. Good point. So that's probably as good a place as any to cut out the spring thing. I got one more little nugget for you before we get out of here because I've kept you for almost an hour and a half. But this has been great content. Oh, Mrs. Pro Day is is it Thursday? Yeah. Tomorrow. Yeah. I don't know Today. what it is. Look. Sure. I'm pretty sure Oh, Mrs. Pro Day is, is while people are listening to this. So uh, prop hats off to me to stay for staying on top of that. But that that's not really the point here. Um, 
two things. Ole Miss Pro Day happening. Swag Kelly's thrown at Pro Day. He is. He is. Which he is. is. Hopefully that works out for him. I thought it was funny. You no, know, he made headlines. Because, yeah, it is. It is on Thursday. Uh, Thursday. So as you're listening, this is Ole Miss's Pro Day. So uh, stay tuned as you're listening to this. But, um, which is not uncommon at all. Dudes come back no, all the no. time to use to use his to use their alma mater's Pro Day as an example to kind of get in front of NFL scouts. It happens all the time. It's a headline this year because it's who it is. It's Swag Kelly. Demorier Stringfellow will be catching passes from it. So will Demarcus. Oh. It happens. It actually makes it a little more interesting when dudes come back. Because let me tell you, a reporter's vantage point for covering pro day, you sit on the outside of the sidelines behind uh-huh. this little roped off area, and you're like, watch these dudes run 40-yard dashes, and you're like, that seemed fast. And then you listen to all the scouts click their stopwatches and don't know what the time is. So Exactly. So <laughs> you have no business there until you actually go and talk to the kids. Yes, there was one year they let us walk around and actually get close to him, but it still didn't do the same thing. I was like, wow, Josiah Coatney was fast, and I heard some scout being like, that's got to improve. Never mind. I don't know what I'm seeing. So. <laughs> anyway, no, 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 no shades or Josiah Cotney. I just happen to remember that. But he, I'm going to read you a tweet from home okay. strength coach Wilson Love. I can't oh, wait till tomorrow. This is he tweeted this on Wednesday at 2:07 p.m. Central Daylight Time to see Elijah Moore, Kenny Yaboa, Royce Newman, and Luke Logan put on a show at Pro Day. One of these things, not like the other. One of these things doesn't fall. You ever heard that song? I, I could not get – yes, I have, and it played in my head as I read this. I could not possibly get this out of my head after I read this. It was like it was like crack. I was like, can I have another hit of this? I'm going to read this again. I, I just, it's like the Netflix show that you want to go back and rewatch, like, and have, have watched it the first time. You know I'm not the biggest Twitter guy, but the first reply is from a gentleman who just goes by Stanley, and its reply is so succinct and so perfect, and it just says, Luke Logan is doing what? (laughs) Oh, God. That poor kid. And (sighs) there's another one that's from Rebel Beth 1 that just says, is there any way to watch online? And I think he just means she wants to watch Pro Day online. But I was in such a frenzy. I was like, this lady wants to watch Luke Logan kick. Like, can we do that together? Can I watch this with you, ma'am? What in the world? By the way, please let me know. I I don't want to dump on a kid. I get it. Luke Logan took a lot of grief. He's just a college kid. It's tough. But I honestly respect the hell out of him more because now looking back, leaving J.A., I could have probably gotten into some college showcase deals if I'd have really – really playing my cards right what is do you think that's real do you think he's actually going to do that yeah i mean look yeah dude like snoop brazzle came back for those things five years in a row nobody cared about him so yeah he at one time was like okay this kid's got ridiculous athleticism was a complete disaster in a lot of other aspects of being a football player but luke logan his his main job is the, the the performance review is not not great no, no. Yeah, he'll kick, and, and nobody will sign him, sign him and it'll, it'll be fine. I mean, so I had a close buddy of mine who I've been friends with for a long time. I sent, I couldn't resist. I sent a Snapchat of said tweet, and I actually said one of these things is not like the others. And he <laughs> said, honestly, it would be smart if an NFL team signed him to their practice squad. I don't know what you have to pay these guys, but you could practice returning field goals. It's a good point. You only have limited rosters practice spots, <laughs> sure. Can you imagine Kyle Shanahan? If you – Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers, like, all right, we're going to practice our field goal return now. Luke, get out there. Kick it as hard as you can. God knows he's not making it. 
he can practice it from anywhere, 27 yards out, 32, everywhere. He, he could. I, uh, I, I'm interested. Honestly, I'm, and I, I was not going to be totally locked in. I was, I, I, that's a lie. I was not going to be locked in at all telling this is yeah. probably because it's not my job anymore. And two, I'm not a scout. What the hell do I know? But I'm going to send out some feelers to figure out how this worked. I'm serious. As it pertains to Luke Logan, I, I, I'm genuinely curious as the dynamics of how that's going to work. I mean, he just asked. I'm sure he just asked to kick, and they said, sure, why not? Okay, can I kick? <laughs> you didn't play football at Ole Miss. Well, did oh God, I don't, I'm scared of the comeback here. Uh, yeah, sorry. I could have gone a million times. Anyway, whatever. Good luck to Luke Logan. I hope he catches someone's eye. Can, can we get Luke on the podcast? Do you think we could do that? I don't think if he ever read any of my social media, he would probably not only not want to come on the podcast, but beat the shit out of me, which he could. <laughs> didn't, didn't, didn't Luke uh, – I don't know if we can say this. You may have to edit this out. Didn't Luke cost you some money in the outback wall? No. He, no? He, and no, so at the time, I, I, I believe whatever the number was that missed extra point, uh, your boy at the time had, had, had bought the hook back or whatever it was. I think I pointed out to you, and trust me, if it had cost me, I might not have pointed it out to you. I think I pointed out to you before we recorded that day. It's like, hey, I'm in the safe zone over here. Yes, it didn't win money. I didn't lose money, but he cost people a ton that day. His final miss extra point was 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 a significant one to significant to some, as Scott Van Pelt's little intro might say. <laughs> oh, man, what I respected so much about that extra point was like. They score the touchdown, and it's like, yeah, but he's probably still going to miss. <laughs> like, nobody was a, even considered. That was a so – that's a, before, as we, this would probably be a great way to wrap this up. One of my, one of my little notes in my newsletter uh, for the spring football from Tuesday's newsletter was – the headline was, is the Ole Miss kicker making kicks? Because the Caden Costa kid's not coming till the, uh, the summer – they care. have two kids on the roster. Is a kid named Land Gebhardt who also went to a fine high school, and then another kid named Kale Nation who went to Madison Central. Which man, you talk about the anyway. I'm not going to get into Jay versus MC right now, but I, you know, I was like, laugh all you want, but this was a huge problem for Ole Miss and for the collective blood pressure of Mississippi. It better be rectified to some degree. I said, I, I, I wrote this exactly. This is why you subscribe to the newsletter. I never remember covering a kicking battle uh, vigorously in my time on the beat. Hell, the Matt Luke years were so boring, I should have started my own controversy. The closest I got to this was 2017. I was doing a, a story on Gary Wonderlick, and I was talking to Australian punter Will Gleason for the story. This is when I was working in-house, so they actually let me do one-on-ones. So we were standing out on the practice field, and I talked to him about Gary Wonderlick, and he gave me some good nuggets about how he lose, like, kind of eased the tension with Wonderlick before he made that huge kick at A&M in Chase's debut. And then I asked Will Gleason, I said, could you kick if necessary if he were to get hurt and his backup wasn't available? And he said, hell no, mate. I can't kick for shit. And we left it at that. Hell no, I can't kick for shit. That guy was awesome, by the way. Will Gleason. Oh, he was great. He was great. Ole Miss has had great punters between Matt Ground and Will Gleason. Great punters and great personality. Wait, so, is Max still there? Yeah, Max coming back. I have purpose right. the other year. Now, talk about someone that would come on the podcast. I think I've heard – so I talked to his sister for his lemonade stand story yeah. a while back, and then I talked to him briefly. I think that guy would come on the podcast. I've upped his street cred hugely. There we go. There we go. 
we could get recurring guest Ole Miss punter Mac Brown. He probably won't get to play much because they're going to do a lot of scoring. It's a good point, but I could ask him how the clear bag policy is going to affect what he brings into the stadium. It's a good point. Where's he putting his knives? Exactly. How do you get those bad boys in your socks? So <laughs> that's why he's going to place this into Eddie. Um, Colin and I will be back at it on Sunday. You're available on Sunday, right? I'm putting you on the yes. spot now. Yes. We'll do yes. a mailbag Sunday. We'll be back at it then. Uh, I would encourage everyone to go check out LBs. Go check out Skybox Sports Picks. we got a new special in the morning. Um, subscribe to Rippy Rights, RippyRightsSubstack.com. Newsletter coming down the pipe Thursday and Friday. Tons of baseball to get to. It's a busy time for Ole Miss. Got some golf to get to as well. Looking forward to it. I appreciate it, dude. This was awesome as always. All right. Sounds good, man. Everybody have a safe and happy long weekend, I guess. Get through Friday, and we will catch you on Sunday.